Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 74 at the intersection of fashion and art, recorded on November 7th, 2017. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm depressed because daylight savings time has plunged me into darkness. Oh, see, I thought you were going to say that you were depressed because you bought a brownie at the bake sale at the pools today and it had peanut butter in it. I'm always suspicious when you go to these bake sales at the polling place that are run by kids because I know that the parents sneak in peanut butter and everything. (laughs) So I bought a brownie, which I thought was at least safe and lo and behold, suspicious blonde looking chips inside you know most people like peanut butter and chocolate together yes i know most people do not i it's true but you know the most interesting thing actually to me at the polling place was there was a lot we we uh vote at a school and there was a lot of really great art all over the school made some of it made by kids and some of it not but it was nice to see i don't remember having a lot of art in the hallway and stuff when i was a kid going to school yeah, your me- your memory's faulty. Oh, well, there you go. I guess it, it it didn't register with me, but it was really nice. I liked it. It made it feel sort of like warm and inviting. I agree. Anyway, our guest today uh, is Kara Doyle Dumachelle. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sure she'll tell me if I'm not. Um, she is a pizza and bagel addict and married to the most wonderful man in the universe. She has a passion for art, fashion, food, and travel. Those are all things I can get behind, too. Um, she loves to explore new places and try new things. She also loves to be lazy and watch HGTV. Also, I think that we yeah share that in common. Probably a lot of people do. Um, she went to school to become an art teacher and she currently works for the fabulous Rue La La as a merchandise planner and as a total uh, side note I said to you mom today in the car I was like oh you know um, uh, the per- the guest today works for Rue La La and you said hey you know who used to model for them is actually a friend of my brother's apparently when he lived in Boston before he went out to LA to make it big he modeled, he modeled for Rue La La which is a pretty cool connection there too so welcome to the podcast Thank you. So, uh, tell us a little bit about Rue La La. Well, it's funny that you talk about the models because they've really changed their model on that in that they have moved a lot of the photo studio over to our warehouse in Kentucky because uh, there's more space there and it's also more inexpensive and models are more inexpensive and they actually tend to now crop out the head of the models. <laughs> so they don't need uh, as many models coming from New York and all the fabulous places. Uh, so it's just funny the way that they've changed that. That's interesting. So they really are. It's just about their body. They're like a giant clothes hanger. Basically. So why don't we tell people what Rulala is? Uh, so Rulala is an e-commerce site, and we sell everything from fashion to home furniture to accessories, and we do it at a fantastic price. It's off all off price, and it's flash sales. So everything only lasts for, you know, it could last for just overnight to a couple days. So it's you have to get it because we only have it right now. Oh, so it's really fast. 
And do you have um, all sizes? Uh, we have the majority of sizes. Okay. Uh, it just really depends on what brands we get. So it's what the brands are offering us as to what we can carry. It's whatever they have in stock and inventory as to whatever the availability is. So why don't you tell us how you, your career brought you to this moment? Yeah, so I did not plan to go into this. This was probably the farthest thing from it. But I went to school to be an art teacher and did love it when I was student teaching. Uh, but after school, I kind of just fell into retail while I was looking for jobs. And I started to really like retail. And I eventually got my way over to Nordstrom, where I became a manager there. And that was a lot of fun. I really did love being on the sales floor and working with customers and all different types of product and teaching people, but I didn't want to work at the store level anymore. And so I then went over to Talbot's and I was there for several years uh, where I was in allocation and then planning. And that's kind of how I fell into planning, where my background typically would have led me more into the buying path, being more of a visual person. But uh, I, my track just ended up going into planning and then I got over to Rulala, which I absolutely love. I've been there for about three and a half years, I guess. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I've, I find it very interesting getting to work with numbers and really doing all of the analysis and getting to help the buyers decide what to buy and giving them budgets and, it's always different every day, and I really enjoy it. So you, what is, I was going to say, what is planning for people who are completely outside of that industry? Right. Is, it, is, it, is it strictly numbers? Is it, what, what does it entail? Sure. So we basically are partners to the merchants, to the buyers. So we come up with budgets. So some of our inventory is owned. And so we need a budget to be able to understand how much inventory we can bring in. And we come up with the sales plans and how much we think we're going to do each month and for the full year. By department, we each have different categories, different departments that we are in charge of. And then we all have to roll together as a company. And so as planners, we come up with those numbers. And then we do a ton of analysis to help the buyers decide what to buy, give them targets by classification, style counts, margin, AUR, and uh, approve what they're buying as well. And then also just give them any type of analysis we can to help make better buying decisions and to help the company. So is that analysis based on um, like sales figures from within your company? Is it based on trends that you're seeing in the market? Is it based, like how do you do that? It is based on sales within the company. Uh, so we have a couple different data warehouse systems that we use to do that. And we come up with, we look at the history and come up with trends of how we're currently doing. And then we have to make decisions as to whether it, we're going to do something more similar to last year that's going to break the trend or we're partnering with the merchants to understand what's out there in the market and they're helping us understand if something's going to change drastically from the way it's trending currently. 
Interesting. So for, to me, at least from the outside, this seems like you've been on a journey with many sort of turns and curves then because this seems quite a ways away. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, you know, I think that's true for most people these days is that they say the average person has 18 careers in their life. Well, and, and I, I don't think, I totally believe that. <laughs> and I don't think that this is the last of my career. I'll, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do as well. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. If I, <laughs> I grow up. I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. You know, I am very curious about, um, so what department are you in charge of the planning of? So I have all of the contemporary departments. I used to have accessories. Accessories was both was accessories, eyewear, beauty, and luggage. And beauty, we've really grown the business over the past few years, and it's killing it now, which is amazing. Uh, but I've recently now taken over contemporary. So I have contemporary collections, contemporary separates, uh, women's denim, intimates, swimwear, outerwear, and yoga. So many different departments. I was going to say, that's a lot of different things. <laughs> yes. And they're all very different too. Yeah. I mean, I would assume that it's even maybe a lot of different buyers for all those different categories. Yes. I work with several different buyers. So complicated. Yeah. How do you make somebody want something when you present it? <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, you present it on the computer. How do you... What kinds of things do you think about to make people click on it? Uh, we really think about the price. Uh, that's definitely one thing. So we want to be the lowest in the market. So we want the price for when you see it to, for you to, as a customer to think, oh, wow, that looks like a really good price for that item. And then also it's creative's job to, and the photo studio, it's their job to, make a great photo uh, for the door that you're clicking into that you are enticed to go into the boutique and look at the product. Well, this actually makes me think of the thing you were saying about how they're shooting models without their heads. And I was thinking a lot about how we're trying more and more to get people to be able to see themselves in the product. And sometimes if you see someone where you're like, oh, so much younger than I am, or it doesn't look like me, or wrong color hair or whatever, that maybe you have a different reaction to it. Yeah. So the models without the heads are mm -hmm. used for the clothing and to, like you said, make it so that you can relate to it more, mm -hmm. uh, not, not see it on somebody else and say, well, I don't look like that person. Uh, and, but then the image that you're clicking on, uh, on the original page, when you go into Rulala, that that might have models. Sometimes it'll just have standing product, but some of it will be models posed in certain ways and in certain settings and in a creative way just to get you to click into the boutique. Well, you know, I was thinking about how, um, so I uh, have been working on the newsletter for my quilt guild and I work with a lot of stock photographies and stock images and stuff to get stuff for the newsletter. And so often it's like every single face of someone, if you type in like, you know, woman sewing or something and you're looking for something, the hands, the whatever, it's always a white person. 
which is an interesting problem. We have a diverse guild, and I'm always trying to show lots of different kinds of people, and it's hard because those photos aren't out there. And I think that one of the things that is inviting to people always is seeing themselves in something and feeling like it's for them too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think every company tries is trying harder to be my, more diverse in their photos. So here, uh, so I actually think you and I were at the exhibit at the Peabody Essex Museum, um, the fashion exhibit. Yes. With the shoes. With the shoes. <laughs> um, which I, because I saw uh, in a couple of photos that you sent me an exi- uh, a piece of uh, shoe art, shall we say. Um, and I know that shoes may not necessarily be on your particular list of what you do, but that's sort of the beginning of a conversation that I think we can have about where fashion and art intersect and how your history as um, being trained as an art teacher and all that kind of stuff influences the kind of stuff you see in museums and what you think about. Yeah, uh, shoes are a fantastic way to get into fashion. Shoes are definitely one of my favorite items of fashion, I'd say. I love the art pieces that people show and choose in museums, but they're typically heels and I do not wear heels. <laughs> I do not wear heels either because I believe in being able to walk. I don't wear heels because at my age, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I find that a lot of uh, the very cute shoes do end up being heels, which is unfortunate. But I think that one of the most, one of my most fabulous, or one of my most favorite p- items are sneakers. I absolutely love sneakers. And I think that you can be very creative in the way that you, like in the way that you wear your sneakers. There are so many different designs and different designers and sneakers can still totally make an outfit. You can wear them with skirts and dresses. They're definitely an easy way to get into fashion. Well, and I definitely see, I was recently in London and on uh, all these little shops along Portobello Road had tons and tons of um, plain white like canvas Converse-ish type shoes and they were custom painting them for you on demand if you came in and they were like different, sort of like a tattoo parlor where there were like different designs you could choose from and you could combine them. Yeah, I wanted that's on cool. these custom shoes. Yeah, and I think, I feel like that's an increasingly common thing is people you know, these sort of hand-painted sneakers. I even, um, somebody hit me up on Instagram recently because there was a, uh, some major league baseball player and he had, um, spray painted and done some sneakers for him to wear in a game. And he used one of my stencils that I designed. So that's like a cool moment. Actually, Julie, for your wedding, you customized your own red sneakers too. I did. If I when I got married, I bought a pair of like very plain red sneakers, and then I I spent probably spent two days with a rhinestone, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, hot fix rhinestone thing, like you know, just blinging them out. So yeah, I mean, I I I'm a great believer in sneakers as comfortable and as art objects. Yeah, one of my favorite pairs of sneakers I bought at a department store in Paris, actually, and they are camo sneakers with gold studs on them. Mm. But I find them to be just very fun. 
Yeah, I think that now they have all these custom printed sneakers too. I think like Converse or somebody does one where you can make a pattern, pick a pattern and have it printed. And certainly with all of the digital printing that's getting done, that's getting easier and easier. Yeah, which then that even leads into 3D printed fashion, which is, I think, totally changing the fashion world. And they had that great exhibit at the MFA uh, yes, last so year. Yes, so good. On well, will 3D you describe tech. a little bit about it? So it was 3D tech printing, and it was artists were using 3D paper or 3D printing, sorry, to make pieces of fashion, pieces of clothing. And a lot of it was even very wearable. Sometimes a lot of that stuff, fashion and art, there's definitely a line of what's wearable and what's not wearable. Uh, and I think that you can go way more crazy when it's not totally wearable. <laughs> you can make it more interesting. But um, I thought that the pieces were very cool in this exhibit where they had a jacket that had these different cutouts in the sleeves uh, from the 3D printing. There was a bathing suit that had some really cool huge ruffles coming out of it. It's just crazy what they can build with the 3D printing. Yeah, I mean, I assume one of the things is that as the price of 3D printing comes down and it becomes easier and easier to do, then it becomes like a viable manufacturing choice as opposed to right now, you know, it's it's more expensive to do that for a production run than it is to just create a mold and pour it, if, especially if you're using plastic or something. Yeah. But I think it's an exciting idea that, you know, somebody said this to me. So uh, this is um, last night I was at my uh, Quilt Guild meeting and there was a woman who was talking about paper piecing. And paper piecing is a form of quilting which is very, very exact because you basically print out the design that you want to do onto a piece of um, freezer paper or just regular paper. And then you sew through the paper. So she kept saying how exciting it was that you can always repeat the same thing over and over again and how great that was. And I felt a little sad in my heart because I always think of like the benefit of something handmade is that it's each little bit is sort of unique and, and not repeated. But, you know, every maker has their own thing. But I do think the thing about 3D printing that's so interesting is, yeah, if you want to make, you know, a thousand of these little, you know, embellishments that you're going to put on something, they're all going to be identical. Yeah, I'd, I, I think I agree with you. I like when pieces are more unique and... I find that some of the smaller, more art, like fashion artists right now are, they make like one of everything basically. So it is all very unique. Do you shop for like fashion art clothes? Are you a person who wears a very sort of artsy kind of stuff? I am not really. Um, I love looking at it. Um, I'm, I've actually started to go more towards wearing more simplified things that can be jazzed up with, you know, a jacket and sneakers or some sort of vest uh, and trying to be able to rewear things more. Whereas when a piece is super unique, it's harder to wear it all the time. 
you know, I think I go, I mean, I definitely go in and out of phases as I think we all do. But I see a lot of times when you look at like fashion designers and people who really work in fashion, they wear the most simple clothes ever. Usually all black. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, you see someone after a runway show and they come out in like a t-shirt and a pair of jeans after showing all these like exotic and fascinating clothes. And it always makes me wonder if like, if that means that they think of the fashion as art, so they're not wearing it, you know, because somehow it's separate from them. Yeah. I think they're just putting all their effort into their pieces where they're not spending that time on themselves. Because if you think about it, like if you went to an art opening, I feel like you would see that some of the artists who create the most colorful and flamboyant art are also wearing the most plain, you know, like t-shirt and jeans kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes the way people express themselves in their art isn't always the way they express themselves in their fashion. So who are some of the designers that you like, whose work that you find interesting, whether you wear it or not? Uh, I would say people who I do not wear, but I find interesting would be people like Reem Akra and Ellie Saab who make gorgeous, gorgeous gowns and wedding dresses. Uh, I think Dolce and Gabbana is really fun with the florals and the animal prints that they use. And then people that I wear. Uh, free people is definitely my favorite brand. I'm wearing a free people top right now. <laughs> uh, it's very bohemian and girly, uh, young, fabulous and broke, I think is a great brand. Uh, they do very simple cotton dresses and different kinds of clothing, but, uh, they have fun kind of ombre pat, uh, color patterns to them. Uh, I do like Gwen Stefani's line, Lamb. She has a great purse line. Uh, I mean, there's tons of different designers. And it's funny because it's like some some of the designers you can love, but they're too far out of reach and you don't wear them. You like to look at them. And then there's the designers that you love that you wear. I agree because I remember going to the Museum Council, which if I hadn't said this already, this is where uh, – Karen, I know each other from, um, had an event at Saks Fifth Avenue. And I remember just like breezing through the gold chain Dabana, you know, like all that hyper embroidered, like really nice stuff that they were showing. And of course, you know, it's like $4,000 for a shirt. <laughs> yes. And so you're fingering it and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, you know. Some, somebody's buying this, but it ain't me. Um, but it's, it's beautiful to look at and super inspiring. Absolutely. I think the the high-end designers and the runway shows, they really set the tone for fashion. And it's very cliche, but like the movie, The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> it, it's true, though, that these designers are really deciding what the trends are going to be. And they do them more over the top and way more expensive. But then the uh, designers who are making stuff in the everyday stores are taking their cues from them, whether it be color, whether it be pattern, whether it be a trend of, you know, sleeves or ruffle sleeves. Uh, they're all getting them from what the design, the fashion, the high end runway designers are doing. 
I would say I see that even like in the craft industry, which is to say the patterns and styles that have been on the runway, it probably takes two years, three years, but they then filter down through the scrapbook paper, the embellishments, the wrapping paper, the stationery, like all those kinds of things. It I see how fashion comes through in that way. Yep. Which is, I mean, I think the thing about The Devil Wears Prada is it is a, a movie that even if you don't sort of care about fashion, it, you do have that moment where you realize how much fashion is sort of is on you whether you want it to be or not. Uh, yes, you can not be into fashion, but you still have to wear clothes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> It's true. So um, did you get to see the New Zealand WOW exhibit up at the PBD Essex this winter? I did not. That looked very interesting, though. That was a great exhibit about um, extreme fashion and yet all wearable, which is a oxymoron, of course, in some ways. But, but their hardest rule is that a model has to be able to wear it down the runway. And yet when you look at the, some of the pieces, I mean, they're made of wood. They're made of like, you know, <clears throat> just like insane stuff, but they're all wearable. Uh, I mean, physically wearable. I don't know if somebody could actually get away with wearing them down the street. Um, <laughs> and then also I went to MoMA recently and I saw their fashion exhibit um, which was another interesting one just because they are doing this kind of what I think the Museum of Modern Art always does, which is, you know, we're, we're the exhibit of record kind of, and trying to give like a very strong overview of, um, of mostly wearable fashion. I did not see their exhibit. Well, then instead of talking about exhibits you haven't seen, let's talk about exhibits you have. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to tell us about any uh, museum exhibits that you've seen about fashion that you thought were particularly interesting? Um, well, I mean, the PBD Essex one that I did see with when you were there was the shoe one, but they also had clothing there. Uh, I thought that was very cool with the, there was like a totem pole dress that was really cool. Uh, and then a whole closet of fabulous shoes. Uh, but I find that even just when it doesn't, even when it's not current contemporary fashion exhibits, I love when museums do have, you know, history with fashion. So I love when, uh, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember what museum it was, but there, I think it was maybe, in Paris, but they had this huge fashion exhibit where it was over time. So they were doing basically fashion from each decade. And I think the more older decades are probably my favorite to see fashion in museums uh, because they're just so different from what we wear now. And it's just very interesting to see what people did wear back then. And even when it comes to corsets and how small their waist was and all the hoop skirts. And it's just pretty amazing what people actually wore where nowadays I would say I would never wear that. <laughs> you know, I went on a tour. There's a, I live very near a uh, historic home that gives tours and I went on a tour and they had some clothing on these mannequins and they were talking about how many women died 
because the fashion was to wet your skirts and they wore these very like filmy flimsy skirts that were then doused with water so they're basically wearing no clothes in these homes that do not have good heating in the middle of the winter or even being outside and they basically died of like you know all these different things you get from freezing oh my god that's awful i know i mean that sounds worse than high heels frankly (laughs) i'd say so I really am um, interested in the anthropology of clothes, what it shows about people's ideas of what a woman is supposed to be, or about sexuality, or about social mores. It's just really interesting. And one of the ways that you can really see uh, something that you could wear is when you look at jewelry, like even archaeological, old, really old jewelry. You can see things that you could wear today that are just fabulous. And that would be another reason to wear simple clothing. It's almost like just a backdrop for some fabulous jewelry piece. Sometimes I like to go to these these exhibits of archaeological finds and just drool over, well, I could take that necklace that was found in an Egyptian tomb and really look great in it. (laughs) And I think that... One of the things about looking at fashion from, as you say, an historical viewpoint is that you really learn a lot about the society of that time because your clothes highlight certain things, but they also restrict you in certain ways. Yeah, they definitely affect how you move. Right. And whether you can eat, whether you can breathe, whether you can (laughs) sit, uh, you know, whether you can run. And so... I I think it's really, uh, I really like exhibits where they talk about the the social background of the clothing and the culture that this is based in. To me, that's the most interesting thing about clothes. I definitely agree with that. I recently went to uh, a collection at the MFA where they were showing in their fashion department, they were showing a few pieces that they have that they were relating them to historical books and pictures. And like one of the pieces was featured in Vogue and they were just talking about the history of the different pieces and how it really did change society where when something was so contemporary because, you know, it went from a cinched in waist to like a drop waist, which, you know, was very alarming to some people at the time. And so it's interesting to see the history of fashion that way. And to they, I like the way that they related the, uh, the historical books to the pieces and showing people actually wearing them in the books as well. I was thinking there are a number of reasons why people choose to wear what they wear. Sometimes someone might buy something because people will know it's expensive. Sometimes you might buy something because it disguises your body in a way that you like. Uh, I think I'm more drawn to more of the individual, meaning I like to wear something that is not a common shape or volume or whatever and or put two things together that you wouldn't necessarily assume would go together. 
because I like to exercise, maybe because I'm not a working artist as Julie is, but I like to exercise my creativity and my artistic leanings by thinking about ways of putting things together on myself that show that I've put some thought into it. Yeah, you like to be unique. I like yeah. that. Then you don't look like everybody else and then people actually notice and then they ask questions and they get inspired by what you're wearing. And it's not about expense. It's really, it's about finding something that you can see and use it in a different way. I mean, I, I am always bringing home leaves and just things that are just things you just see lying around or old keys or whatever, because I like the way they look and then try to figure out a way to use them. I was going to say the last time I was in your dining room, the display in the middle of your dining room table was a bunch of leaves. Sorry. I'm just saying <laughs> treasures, treasures from the outside. Free, free. I know. Actually, you brought me a leaf the other day, I, I, which I'm pressing in a book right now. But yes, I think, but I mean, I think that fashion and art, I mean, where they intersect for me, I mean, the, I think there are a million places, but they are expressions of who you are. And they are, they, people have a reaction to you based on how you look. That's just a fact, whether it's In a nanosecond, they yes. make their decisions up without <laughs> even realizing it. And yes, so they judge you. Yeah. And so what you wear is often a statement that you're making to people about how you wish to be perceived you know you put the same girl in like a black goth wig and you know a very aggressive outfit and she gets a different reaction than the same girl you know wearing uh pearls and a little uh you know straight skirt it's just people have a reaction to what you choose to wear I think the most important thing for people who are not don't always know how to put things together and how to look at fashion. I think the most important thing is that you feel comfortable in what you're wearing. And like you said, you can express yourself with what you're wearing and it doesn't have to be what everybody else is wearing. It's almost better to be unique and do something different. And as long as you're comfortable in it, that kind of sets the tone. Like if you, if you give off a vibe of being comfortable with yourself and not worrying about what you're wearing, then other people will be comfortable around you and be interested in what you're wearing. I think that's right. And it extends to your makeup, your hair, you know, if you have tattoos, whatever. I I was just thinking the other day that one of the reasons New York is so enticing, there are a lot of things about New York that are difficult, but one of the things that's so enticing is no matter how you look, people are not particularly phased they they accept it whatever you're wearing whatever you put on yourself nobody's going to laugh and point yeah. well they they very well might <laughs> laugh and point <laughs> but who knows um i will say like but it does it makes me think too when we talk about fashion even as like a uniform you know if you look at like mean girls or something on this day we wear pink you know and on that day yes. we wear skirts and like all that kind of stuff which is it's it's uh, fashion is a kind of uniform i'm sure you know when you worked retail most of those stores you know they have some kind of you have to wear this kind of clothing when you're working there 
Yeah, I mean, there's certain departments that definitely have certain uniforms that you have to wear. Uh, but then even in the uniform aspect, you see that I feel like in schools nowadays, like you were saying, Mean Girls, I feel like that there's uh, there's like the popular brand or the popular item. And, you know, like every middle schooler has to own a pair of Uggs or, you know, it's like you have to have this one particular item to feel cool and to fit in. And I think that's got to be so hard for kids who don't have the experience of being able to express themselves and understand that you don't have to look like everybody else and wear what everybody else is wearing. But then you have those people who are setting that tone of this is the hot item and everybody must wear it. Well, you know, okay, this is going to be a very long sort of metaphorical tangent, and I apologize ahead of time, but come with me. Come with me. (laughs) Um, So uh, there was a period of time when I would go to see a lot of contemporary art, and I constantly felt like everything that people was making was depressing. Everything that people were was were making was like sarcastic or snarky or had a sort of negative attitude about like people or humanity, and it was all about like – um, killing and death and rape and like just like everything sort of felt angry and I thought gosh is the only way is the only art that's being made now about you know sadness or something Doom. and there's nothing yeah Doom. there's yeah. nothing happy and then it was interesting to see the Murakami exhibit at the MFA because that is so happy peppy you know poppy it's just has a completely different affect than a lot of other contemporary art and then the way that they've curated that exhibit where they have rooted it in history and said you know this very contemporary painting is completely based on this you know 16th century scroll um was sort of fascinating partially because also at MoMA in their fashion exhibit they have somewhat similarly said here's a dress from 1820 and here's a dress from 19 you know uh 30 and look how it takes the influences from here um so it's actually sort of two things converging in my mind right now which is one the idea that um I think that whether it is fashion and saying we all need to look this way and we all need to dress that way and this is the cool thing, I think that happens in art too. Like that there's a swing towards this is what art should feel like and then something else sort of pushes up against it and you say, oh, I guess it doesn't have to be that way. Um, And then two, the idea that, you know, there isn't a lot of stuff that's new, whether it's art or it's fashion. You know, the 80s puff sleeves came out of the, you know, 1880s mutton chop sleeves from the Victorians. And that probably came from somewhere else. Lego mutton. Lego yes. mutton sleeves. Yes. Yes. So. All well, everything comes from something. You know, everything is inspired by something. It's like, what is that quote where every, all good art is stolen? Mm. Or, you know, it's everything is inspired at least from something else that already exists and then is taken in a new direction. Right. And I think that's the key, right? Cause that's the thing that we like to see always is it's not just that it's, Hey, you know, this is a vintage piece from the eighties. This is, Hey, this is eighties inspired, but with a 2017 mentality. Yeah. I like, there's a, a few articles out there about the kind of like the beginning of the controversy over where the line is drawn between fashion and art. 
And because even with this exhibit at the MFA, I think you have people who are on both sides of this is really fun and unique and different. And you can see how it relates to the old art history. Uh, but then there's other people who I think say, I don't know if this is art. And there's, I think that's like a great conversation piece for people because um, these are, there's, so there's these articles about when there were, uh, there was a fashion designer who teamed up with Salvador Dali and designed the silk evening gown that had a huge oversized printed lobster on it. And it was shown in vogue in the 1930s, I think the late thirties. And there was a lot of different meaning associated with the lobster that Dolly had. And who knows if the model actually knew about all these different meanings, but then the model was a socialite who was going through all this different stuff and was going through a divorce and engaged to somebody who had to, who felt that he had to uh, strip away uh, his, he had to abdicate the British throne basically to marry her. And she was coming out in vogue wearing this dress that had never been done before and it was this whole collaboration of fashion and art and uh sparked uh, sparked all the controversy of where is the line that you draw between that and there's just been so many i think it's just very interesting in history where you can see that and it just sparks up conversation and you have all of these different collaborations between fashion designers and artists and i think that that's just a really cool way to intersect the two is that wallace warfield simpson that you're talking about the socialite uh, yes yes so you know this is very interesting because right now there's a public conversation going on about the close of the first family here uh because there was a lot of interest in there's always been a lot of interest in whatever the president's wife is wearing and with michelle obama it was at a fever pitch oh she's wearing a j crew sweater and then yeah. uh and now with Melania Trump, there's a whole lot of interest in what is she wearing or what is Ivanka wearing. And of course, Ivanka also makes clothes. And I think we try to pick up signals or interpret people's clothing to learn something more about them. Uh, it just clothes are just a really uh, interesting public conversation all the time. And Absolutely. it gets back to also the uniform because often you're, the clothes are signaling what tribe, what club you're identifying yourself with. It's, it's uh, a fascinating topic. Well, and I think for artists, especially fashion is an interesting way to express themselves because it's using a whole nother set of materials, not just, you know, a piece of canvas or a piece of paper and they have to think about shape and movement and curves and, um, you know, if it's something for consumerism, how are people, are people actually going to buy it? Like, I think there's just like a whole nother set of uh, uh, criteria that, and materials that they can use and criteria that they have to think about. Well, that also gets into theatrical costume design. Many artists also have history with designing costumes for the theater because the visual effect of what you're wearing on stage really conveys message. I mean, Julie, you've been a director. You can probably talk about this better than I can, but I just find it. 
Well, it's interesting the same how many artists have history as theatrical clothing designers. It's, the, it's the same judgment thing, right? You judge somebody as soon as they walk up to you based on what they're wearing. So if you want to immediately capture who a character is, you know what I mean? You immediately put them in something that reads to give the impression that you want, you know? And differentiate different characters by what they are wearing. Yeah, Exactly. And just really establish who they're because also the thing is when you're in the theater and you're far away and you can't see people's faces, it's like if you have four blondes on stage, they need to look <laughs> different and be individualized somehow. Costume designers are very talented. I find cost theatrical costumes very interesting, very intriguing. I do too. Although it's funny because obviously we just had Halloween and I remember like the number one rule when I was in college of the theater department was at Halloween time, they like locked down the costume department. Yeah, you weren't allowed to wear any. Yeah, people would just take stuff and it was like, no, I've never seen, you know, a costume designer get so hysterical than around Halloween. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think... um, the other thing that I wanted to say is just that, you know, when we talk about art with a capital A, oftentimes people talk about, like, what's the difference between decorative art and fine art, right? And because it goes back to that thing that you were saying, Kara, about, um, you know, is the Murakami exhibit art and all that kind of stuff. But it, it which goes down to, you know, people say decorative art is art that is purely... Uh, for decoration or aesthetically pleasing or whatever, but it doesn't have like a meaning or a message and fine art in some way is uh, telling a story of some kind. Um, And so I think then when we get into fashion, there are a lot of questions there about, um, you know how often the couture runway show differs so enormously from what ends up trickling into the ready to wear collection. And it becomes... I think a similar bifurcation of like there's the stuff that is you know attractive and decorative and then there's you're telling a story and making a statement with your collection thinking about collections you've seen where you know who is the designer who came out with uh, all those uh, dresses which were basically like crumpled artist frames as if the models were like emerging from these kinds of frames and, you know, other things where people are trying to tell a story or even I've been watching Project Runway, too much Project Runway probably. (laughs) But, you know, they're always talking about when you have this collection, what's the story that you're telling and creating clothes that are slightly more interesting than what people might actually be buying. And Project Runway often gets accused of rewarding people who basically create very wearable. Hello, can you hear me? I lost you for a moment. Yeah, I lost you for a moment too. Well, it's every every word is such a pearl. What a disaster. (laughs) But, you know, people on Project Runway who are creating very, like, wearable clothes. Yeah, well, I mean, high-end fashion, the runway shows are kind of more of a production in a way, a theatrical production. You know, I feel like they they put on these huge headpieces even or, you know, do their makeup and hair in ways that you would never – go out of the house on an every day looking like that, uh, but that they're, they're trying to put on a production and sh- and tell a story and they're really setting the tone of what the trends are more with that. And then what comes into the ready collection, ready to wear collection is, you know, a version of it or has somehow been inspired by that. 
I was thinking of, uh, there's a Japanese designer, I don't know if it's Rei Kawakubo, who one year her whole, her her show was these clothes, which had huge volumes where we're not expecting them. So it created like a giant hump on your back or an enormous rear end or, you know, it the clothing were was very different than the structure of the human body that was underneath. And that was the sort of most extreme exaggerated version. But Julie, you just bought a dress the other day and... Some people like it and some people don't like it. Count me among the people who likes it. And uh, it what has, dress? So it does not conform yeah. necessarily to your body. You want to describe it? Yeah. So it's like, so the hips are enormously um, exaggerated. And so it comes out almost as if like your bust is your bust. And then it's almost as if there's like a circle between your bust and your knees. And then it comes back down. So it does like a very exaggerated um, hip. And so I've been doing these on my YouTube channel. I've been doing these unboxing things where I like have a stitch fix or wantable box or whatever. And I, you know, go through like, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And I happened to be wearing this dress one day when I started the unboxing. And I said, you know, I like clothes that are a little more unusual. And this is very much my fashion. But a number of people in the comments were like, that dress is so unflattering in you. I hate it. Oh which which most of the time and I love it. I right. love that. And I dress. love that dress cuz I think it's fascinating, but I completely see what people say, which is like is it the most like, you know, body conforming making you like like tall and slim and you know whatever else that you want to look? No, but do I think it's like a really interesting and fun piece of clothing that makes me feel sort of like that I'm a playful and fun person? Yes, and I think it's it's funny just because with the unboxing videos, which is a phenomenon on the internet unto itself, you know, that is such an arena for people to talk to you about uh, their own issues along with your own. Because a lot of times I'll get a comment that I know is not meant unkindly. Like somebody will say, you know, oh, you're like me. You have to cover up your arms. And I think what? I have to cover up my arms? Really? <laughs> you know, but I mean, but I know that that's not coming from a mean place. It's just coming from a somebody seeing something in it. And so I think that in that particular arena, talking about clothing, they're, the, the viewers are very focused on telling me what they think is flattering on me and what they would wear if they were me. But I think that that's where it comes down to it doesn't even really matter what other people think and how they view you. It's if you're comfortable with what you're wearing and you really like the piece and you think it's unique and you're wearing it for a reason, that's all that matters. And it makes you feel good. You know, people are going to have opinions about everything. Everybody is opinionated. It's true. It's like my boyfriend said to me the other day, we were going to something and he said, do I need to wear a suit? I said, most people there will be in suits. If it will make you feel more comfortable, wear a suit, go for it. If you don't care, then don't. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, wear throw on a clean T-shirt and you're ready. <laughs> and do exactly what you want. Um, well, it looks like it's about time for us to wrap up. Is there anything else that you wanted to add that we didn't get to, Kara? I don't think so. This has been fun. Good, Mom. I know you always like to have the last word. <laughs> I 
I don't like to have the last word. It just <laughs> happens that way often. That no, I, I have enjoyed this conversation because although this is the Adventures in Arting podcast, and some might say, well, what what does clothing have to do with that? Actually, clothing is a form of artistic choice that everybody makes yes. every single day. So it is very fascinating, actually. Uh, people come up to me all the time and they say to me, they go, I'm not creative. And I say, did you pick out your clothes today? Did you pick out your jewelry? <laughs> did you do your hair? Because then you are creative, you know? But the, you don't take that as an act of creativity somehow. But it's true. It is every day. Well, I think often people are thinking of it as, especially women, I am masking my shortcomings. I'm, you know, that, that, that's oh, the basis. Oh, honey, if you can mask your shortcomings, that is creativity, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> when actually it should be fun. Yes. Clothing should definitely be fun and pick, and picking out clothing should be fun. It should never be a chore. Clothing should and be fun and comfortable. That's the other right, thing. Agreed. I'm with that. Definitely. I read an article the other day. I'll just throw this out there. Last <laughs> word. That said there's actually no reason to wear a bra. <laughs> and how do you feel about that? The older I get, the more I can buy into that. <laughs> <laughs> that seems actually like the perfect place for us to end. Um, so, Kara, if people want to connect with you online, is there somewhere that they can do that? Um, they can follow me on Instagram, connect with me on Instagram at Kara L. Doyle. Um, I don't have a huge social media presence besides that, though. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a happier life when you don't. It's true. Yeah. And if they want to see what Rulala is all I about. Gonna, I was just going to say, everybody should definitely check out Rulala, which is rulala.com. And it is free to sign up with an email if you are not already a member. And I definitely encourage you to take advantage of that. Actually, what you described to me sounds a little bit like Home Shopping Network, except not on television. But it's kind of the same idea. It's quickly here. It's quickly gone. Yeah, definitely. We also have done some segments with Wendy Williams and Access Hollywood and now The Doctors. And I think there's one more we're doing. Uh, so we definitely were, were utilizing other outlets as well and selling the product on our site. Okay. Well, thanks so much, you guys. And as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com slash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag poundartingpodcast. That's all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. We hope you'll subscribe. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs> <laughs>